Hello and welcome to the Cherry Leaf podcast. It's November 2020 and I was planning to try a different type of podcast episode a little bit later, maybe towards the 100th episode that we do, where it seems to be an idea that some people are following through with of doing walking podcasts. So you walk and you talk at the same time. However, on Thursday of this week, we're going into lockdown. So I've got three days to do this or to take the opportunity to do this before we're all locked down for four weeks. Uh, so where I am is in Windsor Great Park, just by the Bishopgate entrance, which is about... 15, 20 minutes, about 10 miles from where I live. And so what I thought I'd do, I'd turn my back to the wind, is talk about the topic for this episode and perhaps talk about the park as well. So where I am is in a place, a village called Englefield Green. And it's one of the entrances to Windsor Great Park. Windsor Great Park is very big, which you might get from the name. And we'll walk towards Windsor. So in front of me at the moment is a collection of pink buildings where I think there's Cumberland Lodge. Maybe not Cumberland Lodge. But apparently there are some minor royals that live in those grace and favour houses. Anyway. So we're turning right. Hello. Passing some other people. And going towards what's called the Copper Horse. So the topic is really a review of something or an update on something that we did back in April or March of this year, which was talking about the impact of the lockdown on businesses. And at that time, we talked about mainly about technology and a little bit about people's mental well-being. But I saw a long thread on Twitter by somebody called Chris Hurd, where he said, I've spoken to around 1,000 companies over the last six months about their plans for remote working, for remote work going forward. Here's a few things that I've learned. Now, before I do that, I have to get through these gates. There are deer in the park. And to stop the deer getting out, you have to go through some metal gates on that. It is said that if you come early in the morning, that uh, you can bump into the queen riding a horse. Although the bridleways tend to go perpendicular to the footpaths. But anyway, if we do, we're probably a bit late for that today, but if we do bump into her, we'll, we'll ask her her thoughts on this topic. She's a keen listener to the podcast, I believe. So what I thought I'd do is talk about going past Snow Hill, site of scientific interest, talk about the thread that Chris Hurd wrote and then intersperse it with some additional thoughts. First thing he said was, third space, office and working from home 
will be joined by somewhere close by that a number of people will use. Supermarkets or local bank branches should emerge as a convenient, ubiquitous location option, if they are smart. Now this is something that I thought of might happen when I was in my younger days. And I thought that perhaps libraries would change to serve another function, that that would be a place where people could go to do work if they were working from home. And we've also seen the growth of copy shops where people can work for just an hour or two. But there is, or there seems to be a situation where people want to have a place they can work for a full day. And I've also seen in, I think it was in the comments from this thread, the idea that hotels may adapt and change to deal with the immediate situation of not having customers and offer their hotel rooms for people that want to use them for work and that they would offer the use of a hotel room by the day or the half day and that could be a place where people can get away from from home and work there. Headquarters are finished. Companies will cut their commercial office space by 40 to 60 percent. They will allow every worker to work from home two to four days a week and come into the office one to two days a week. Now it's a fact of life at the moment that you have to work from home or where there are lockdowns people have to work from home and although during the summer there were restrictions limited for many organisations they stuck with the policy of letting people work from home even though they could potentially go into the office just to keep everything safe. Now, from the vacancies that we've got on our books at the moment for technical authors, there does seem to be a split. We've got some companies that are offering work from home on a permanent basis, and there are others where they want, as soon as possible, wherever possible, their staff to come back into the office and work in London. Now, even with that, they're saying you could probably work one day a week, two days a week. However, for a lot of candidates, that's not particularly attractive. We'll come back to that on another point that Chris Hurd talked about. You know, the feedback is, are those other people recruiting micromanagers or just old-fashioned or out of date? Why? Why do they want to do that? We'll talk, anyway, we'll talk about that bit a little bit later. So next comment, fully distributed. Approximately 30% of the companies we talk to are getting rid of the office entirely and going remote first. Companies doing this have seen their workers decentralised rapidly, leaving expensive cities to be closer to family. So from a technical writing perspective, if that's your job, then in many ways it's perfectly possible to work anywhere to do the work. You need to have the ability to talk to subject matter experts, but that can be by video call or a phone call, if it's software. If it's hardware, it's trickier because if you're documenting a physical piece of equipment, then often to understand how it works. 
and um, taking it apart for the maintenance side of the documentation, then you need to be where that equipment is. And it may not be practical to take that piece of equipment home and do that there. So again, possibly you might be able to get that by having somebody show you how you could do it using video or recording it, walking around a certain item. Um, but it may be that that requirement means that you need to, to go into the office for that situation. Asynchronous work. Offices are instantaneous gratification distraction factories where synchronous work makes it impossible to get stuff done. Tools that enable asynchronous work are the most important thing globally remote teams need. A lot of startups will try to tackle this. And there seems to be, within this thread, two sides. One is this push towards asynchronous, where people are working really to their own hours and own time schedule, and also a counter-argument that there needs to be even so if people are working from home, the ability for people to communicate, to have meetings with people and a push towards people being roughly on the same time zone. There is also this traditional thing within software that software tools can solve every problem when sometimes it does need some procedures or management or agreed ways of working to get around some of the challenges. Hobby Renaissance. Remote working will lead to a rise in people participating in hobbies and activities which link them to people in their local community. This will lead to deeper, more meaningful relationships which overcome societal issues of loneliness and isolation. Hmm, maybe. Rural living. World-class people will move to smaller cities have a lower cost of living and a higher quality of life. These regions must innovate quickly to, to attract that wealth. Better schools, faster internet connections are a must. Well, certainly faster internet connections are something that's necessary. And I did see on Twitter on a thread that one person, Jane Lamborn, who we've interviewed, who works at Monzo, has relocated from London to Cornwall for the lockdown and is enjoying the rural life down there. So it does have its attractions, I should imagine. Constant presence. Asynchronous work lets you have the isolation to do deep work, but it's not always required. Communication solutions which enable presence, like an open mic while gaming, will become more compelling. And this goes back to the same time zone issue and also the question of companies wanting that ability to check in on people and see if they're doing the work or how they're getting on immediately. And I suppose with tools like Zoom and Microsoft Teams, that capability is there uh, by requesting a video call and the like or instant messaging and Slack as well. Okay, the next point, access talent. The first reason they're going remote first is simple. It lets them hire more talented people rather than hiring the best person in a 30 mile radius of the office. They can hire the best person in the world for every role. 
Now, where that is difficult is with new hires and junior hires. Because if you've got somebody who's completely new to working or to start the start of their career, then often what they want is mentoring and support and coaching, as well as sort of formal training that they might get. And that is harder to do when you're not physically close to somebody. Because what you want to do, as well as the, I guess, the mechanical aspects of being able to do the task that you're employed to do, is uh, to understand the culture of the organisation. And for people to have a quiet word with you if something is not quite right or if you're not confident about something, you might not want to commit something to paper because it's there forever, permanently, and you might not want to do that. Ah, right, are we there already? So to my left, I'll go up to it, there's a great big pile of rocks, and on top of those rocks is a statue in bronze, so it's green, of somebody on horseback, with their right hand pointing the sky, I suppose, or pointing forwards, dressed as a Roman senator. And that marks the end of what's called the Long Walk, which is a pathway which goes down the hill, down towards Windsor. And at the bottom of the hill, at the bottom of the path, at the bottom of the Long Walk, is Windsor Castle. And when they do royal weddings or various things, they take the carriages up the long walk and into Windsor Great Park. Or maybe down, down from Windsor Great Park to Windsor Castle. So in the distance, on a rather grey day, is Windsor Castle. Okay, back again. Okay, so I'm at the top of the hill and it says Giorgio Tertio Patri Optimo, Georgius Rex, so it's George III. And there are a few people walking up and down the long walk. It's a long walk, actually, getting to the castle from here. Okay, so next thing, cut costs. The second reason they're going remote first is because it lets them be far more cost efficient. Rather than spend $20,000 per worker per year on office space, they can provide the best remote setup on the planet for $2,000 per worker per year. Not much to comment on that. Remote burnout. The productivity inside the companies we've spoken to has gone through the roof. Their biggest concern is that workers burn out because they are working too hard. They're actively exploring ways to combat this. Remote on-sites. 60% of companies we talk to are already thinking about ways to use time together physically to improve culture. The most popular we hear is flying the team into remote locations for a week. Portugal, Spain, Puerto Rico seem to be the most popular. But of course that's practical or doable if there isn't a lockdown that prevents you going to certain places. And it does highlight the challenge that this lockdown is having on maintaining a culture 
within a company, particularly within a startup culture, within a startup company, I should say. One thing we've done at Cherry Leaf is do uh, meet, walking meetings. So we'll keep a distance, we'll walk around a park, Stanmore Park in Brighton, for example, and just chat. That's one way of maintaining social distancing and a culture and opportunity for people physically to talk. Um, although we've not interspersed that with any sort of presentations or anything like that, but I suppose that would be, in theory, possible as well. Personal choice. The smartest people I know, personally, are all planning to work remotely this decade. The most exciting companies I know, this is Chris Hurd, personally all plan to hire remotely this decade. Approximately 90% of the workforces we've spoken to never want to be in an office full-time again. I think one thing that's worth remembering is that the move of staff to factories or manufactories in the past came before industrial, really industrialization kicked off in a significant way. And it used to be that there were professions like weavers that would work from home and be very highly paid. And there was a concerted effort to change that, to move people from the countryside into towns, into factories, to get them all to work at certain times together as a way to reduce staff costs and to improve efficiencies. And then obviously with industrialization that kicked off even more. So that may be true for certain professions where people have that um, level of demand to be able to dictate that, but there may be resistance from companies to do that, that they feel that they're losing control of their staff. So there might need to be a change in philosophy from one that's been around for a number of years to accommodate that. Another point he said was async by default. This is the thing that organizations are struggling with the most, he says. The majority of companies have replicated the office remotely and it's causing strains that are beginning to show. Oh, this goes back in some ways to this idea of everybody being on roughly the same time zone and being able to, to have that face-to-face -face call, face-to-face, -face, that real-time live call when required to sort out things. I think what I'll do is I'll start walking back to the gate, to Bishop's Gate. Let me do that. So next point, he says, personal injury. These are exploding. Companies haven't moved quickly enough to prevent them, and back, neck, and repetitive strain injuries are becoming a huge problem. Expect this to remedy this quickly by providing better ergonomic equipment to workers. Well, one of the things that happened when my wife started to work from home was that the company that she works for shipped her office chair, which is a big fancy chair with all different ways of setting and adjusting it. They shipped that to our house and that's what she's been working on. They also shipped a large monitor and a ergonomic mouse as well. Didn't provide a desk and um, to be quite honest an office desk would probably be too big anyway but I don't know if that's 
typical of other large organizations. But it's, again, this goes back to the ability to equip somebody at home comparatively cheaply compared to having paying for somebody to be in an office. But I suspect that's true for others that office chairs, companies are prepared to provide another equipment to reduce those type of injuries. Even if a company's not subject to litigation as a consequence of that type of event, if somebody's hurt, then they may have to take time off to be, to be a sick leave, or they may not be working as efficiently as if they are healthy and fine in that particular way. Universal problems. Doesn't matter the size of the organization, every company is dealing with the same thing. We spoke to early stage companies, publicly listed tech companies, through to legacy incumbents with hundreds of thousands of employees. All will be more remote. Just get down this hill and onto the path. Pollution reduction. Many companies we've spoken to care massively about the environmental impact that eradicating the office and the commute will have. And then it's got 108 million tonnes of carbon dioxide less every year. Well, that's certainly the reduction in pollution caused by commuting is true. The other consideration, of course, is heating. In the UK, houses are not as efficient as in the rest of Europe potentially not as efficient as they are in an office either. So there may be a trade-off in terms of CO2 from heating at home, but certainly the commute pollution is, is definitely valid. That, will, that must have a big effect. Quality of life. Even more importantly, companies are realising that they don't need to expect workers to waste two hours a day commuting to sit in an office chair for eight hours. Almost every company we talk to believes that their workers will be happier as a result of remote work. Well, again, I think that's true if you have a happy home environment. If your child is at home due to a school being shut, then that can create a huge burden. If you have a home without the space, that can cause challenges. If you're having to share it with somebody else who's also working, the noise pollution might be difficult also. Remote pressure. A few companies we've spoken to have decided to be more remote than they initially intended because their competitors already did it. There is a fear inside companies that if they don't go remote, they will lose their best people to competitors. Well, we haven't seen that yet. We have seen Obviously, the challenge with that when recruiting new staff. Uh, remote fear. Most companies aren't scared about the quality of work that will be produced. They're scared about intangible things they can't measure. Quality of communication, in collaboration in person, and water cooler chat. Many have realised these were excuses. I think one consequence of the lockdown is it's a lot harder to get information, from serendipitous information, let's put it like that. If you're used to going to meetups or conferences and presentations, 
then you lose that sort of opportunity to learn about or gather ideas from other people outside of the organization. You can do that to an extent with LinkedIn and Twitter. And there are now obviously online conferences. However, the actual situation of having to go to a conference, block out that time, does mean that you are more likely probably to attend, if you're committed to going to a physical conference to attend it, than if it's online. It can be all too easy to think, oh well, I can't make it because there's a work pressure stopping me to do it from doing that. Right, and now it's raining, so let me just... Okay, starting again, so I managed to hit the pause button by mistake. Output over time. The measure of performance in the office is how much time you spend sat in your seat. The measure of performance while working remotely has to become output. Tools that enable this to be tracked more accurately are something we are asked for for a lot. And I have seen from Twitter and the like that there are some organizations that are wanting to be able to check when people are actually at their desk, either through video cameras or camp viewing them through the video cameras or checking how many keystrokes they're doing and that rather intrusive levels of monitoring. And then we get to one that's quite relevant to technical communication. And that is that Chris Hurd says, one of the other major trends is written over spoken. Documentation is the unspoken superpower of remote teams. The most successful team members remotely will be great writers. Companies are searching for ways to do this more effectively. Tools that enable others to write better will explode. And this may be an opportunity for you as the professional technical communicator in your organization to share your knowledge and advice and expertise outside of technical writing and to take the opportunity to help provide training or guides and so on. And we've certainly seen an uptake in the interest in training courses on how to write more effectively, be it policies, procedures or other types of communication. A couple of people commented at the bottom of this thread, disagreeing with this and saying that a lot of companies will be moving to video and recording stuff through video. They also mentioned a number of tools where it's possible to transcribe the video into text. Loon was one tool that was mentioned. I noticed there's a tool that's been launched by TechSmith as well in the last month that enables you to do that. We've talked before about the capability of taking a, an audio recording and doing it in Word. The quality, if you know what somebody is talking about, then it's quite good. If you know that PNL, letters P, N and L, actually have been mistranslated and that they meant P and L, profit and loss account, to take an example from a project that we've been working on recently, then that's fine. But if you're coming from it cold without that context, 
then those mistranslations, those little slips, can cause problems. Go back through the gate. Fattened orcs. Middle management is in trouble. An unnecessary bottlenecks. Unnecessary bottleneck, that should be. That serves no tangible purpose inside asynchronous organizations. Well, again, that is the question of are organizations going asynchronous, moving from working live or working in different time zones or having information sending it out and then it being responded to at the time that the person that's being requested the information is available to do that. Companies need coaching and facilitators to maximize organizational effectiveness. Well, of course, wherever there's a challenge for organization, there's an opportunity for people to provide consultancy to fix that particular side of things. So those were the comments from Chris Hurd on that thread on Twitter. We'll provide a link to that in the show notes. Just some of the comments from other people in the thread. So one, writing is not always cost-effective for many. Too much time spent trying to get it right. Neuro to writing is not practiced. Voice recordings that are well articulated, therefore training on communication skills. Let worker decide best use for their style. That's been compressed to fit within the constraints of Twitter. And another comment, record and instantly share video messages of your screen, cam or both, faster than typing an email or meeting live. Some more comments. A big part of hiring a new remote worker is getting them to communicate complex ideas via messages and emails. A unique skill, but critical, as nobody wants to be on a video call. Great writers allow remote teams to work instead of explain on Zoom. Somebody else. As a remote worker of 15 years, you can be the best writer in the company, but all for nothing if you don't have people who will read. Knowledge sharing is imperative. Building standardized implementation plans with architecture diagrams and definitions allow all team members to see the same thing and use the same words. To improve writing, tools need to capture complex workflows in as few words as possible. And certainly we've seen companies stick prefer to use Word and then have challenges with just a great big dump of documents in SharePoint. Somebody else said, we use ArchB and I can only recommend it for documentation of basically everything worthy to note down. Super lightweight, but flexible enough to satisfy even the most technical documentation needs for our developers. And one I think that isn't mentioned here in this list, one that we did touch on in the previous episode back in April, April, March, was mental wellness. I'll go just reiterate some of that. Disciplinary measures, when somebody is remote, I think there will be challenges with that, in that if you are trying to discipline somebody remotely and they've got family members around or children around, that could be quite difficult. And equally being, there's a horse going into the... Deer Park, lovely horse, nice and black. Anyway, and also being disciplined when you've got family members around you, you can be quite tricky. If you have no one to speak to, to sound, is it me? Or are they being unreasonable in disciplining me? 
there's going to be a lot of people dwelling on negative things and not having the opportunity necessarily to talk about those. And that's going to rely on other team members to take the initiative and talk to them privately or other, in other ways to support them or give them advice. That's sort of the informal channel side of things in addition to the, to the formal channel when things go wrong. I guess this goes back to this situation of does everything need to be recorded and documented officially or should there be channels that are undocumented within an organisation? And of course this also works well for those that are self-managing, self-starting, happy to work alone. For some people that's not the way they like to be within a crowd, to be within a group. The family environment may not be appropriate for that and they, that the longer we're in lockdown, the more challenging it will be for people like that. Actually, now back at the gate for that, back in front of a sign that says, Welcome, Windsor Great Park is a royal park. It's 2,020 hectares of parkland, which includes a deer park. It's a varied landscape of formal avenues, gardens, woodland, and open grassland. The antiquity of the landscape is enhanced by the scattering of great ancient oaks, for which the Great Park and its forests are renowned once part of the vast Norman hunting forest, which was enclosed in the late 13th century, the park is now managed by the Crown Estate. So that's it for this podcast. Well, thank you for listening. So if you've got thoughts on this topic, let me know. Info at charityleaf.com. If you're interested in training and getting people with your organisation better at communicating and writing, then again, contact us. And we've got vacancies on our books at the moment, looking companies are looking for technical authors working from home. Uh, so that's on our website, charity.com. And thank you for listening.